Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5. The lectionary has us uh, study uh, verses 8 through 14, but because of the context, we're actually going to read 1 through 14, and then we'll study 8 through 14. So Ephesians chapter 5. A few years ago, a fire broke out during an airplane flight. The pilot began a dramatic descent, trying to lead the plane to safety. As soon as it was on the ground, they opened the door for evacuation, but the whole aircraft, taking in the oxygen, turned into an inferno. There were some fatalities and some injuries, but many were rescued because of the huge efforts by the captain and the crew. The captain was the last one to leave the plane, having to be pulled through a window with his uniform on fire. Last year, a ferry capsized, killing hundreds. Most of the passengers were young people who ultimately drowned because they were waiting for instructions on how to leave the ship. The captain of this vessel had fled first, making sure that he was on safe and dry ground which was so hard for the loved ones of those who perished. A study of contrasts. Two people who hold lives in the palm of their hands, who are committed to helping the passengers to survive, not just get to the place where they're going, no matter what, but they act quite differently when tragedy hits. There are all kinds of reasons, of course, why this might be, Does it come down to the heart? Fear is definitely a part of the equation here. Is it a matter of character? One chooses to risk his life to save everyone he can, while someone else works just as hard to get away from the vessel going down. One gives, one takes. Two men who seemed to have the same values as captains in charge really didn't. When the time came to show it, there was great variance in how they had internalized their duty to those they served. Contrasts are all around us. Every day we are faced with contrasts in our world, in nature, in art, in news, in ourselves. There are troves of articles written on studies and contrast about all kinds of issues and people and situations. We are taught in school how to compare and to contrast in our writing. So we learn to recognize the nuances in life when things seem to be the same, but they are actually different. In our passage today, Paul is highlighting life with Christ as contrasted to life without Christ. And he uses the familiar metaphor of darkness and light as a way for his audience to understand what he's talking about. Light is the symbol for God who shines so brightly there is no need for the sun in his presence. In light, nothing is hidden. Darkness here is a metaphor for evil, for a state quite apart from all that is holy and good. One is life and one is death. Verse 8, which we will read soon, is actually the central tenet of the entire book and perhaps encompasses most of Paul's theology in a few short words. For once you were darkness, 
But now in the Lord, you are light. Live as children of light. Live is an imperative verb here, which can be translated also as walk. Paul is saying, continue always to stay in Christ, to live in Christ, to walk in Christ, who is the light of the world. Dr. Robert Gundry reminds us that it is a privilege, a privilege for people to know God through the forgiveness of Jesus, to have his new life in us. And in this new life that is offered, there are standards that God expects of those who accept his life. A code of behavior that binds us to him and to one another in relational unity. And in this way, the church is contrasted then with those in the world who do not know Christ or who have rejected him. So let us now hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be associated with them. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Lord, please illumine our hearts and our minds. We trust you and love you and ask for your spirit, God, to continue to be here among us. Amen. The book of Ephesians was written from Paul from prison somewhere. A few years before he died, he had spent considerable time in Ephesus and had a deep connection with the people there. This book is very similar in language and in content to Colossians. So much so that scholars surmise that Paul developed the theme of God's new society when writing to the church of Colossae and then wrote a general letter to be circulated among the churches. And that is what we read today. They think this for many reasons, but also because Ephesians is not addressed to anyone in particular, nor are there any uh, personal remarks in it. The first part of the letter deals with what Paul believes about Jesus, giving an overview of Christian thought. Jesus has broken down the barrier between God and humanity, given a new way for people to relate to him and to others. And that new way transcends any barriers that human beings try to erect. We are reconciled to the Father and to one another 
through the cross. The second part of the letter that we read today, part of that, is about ethics. The way that Christians are to live. And he emphasizes love as a vital piece of that. Here, Paul is telling his audience that they have great opportunity to live in holiness before God. And that holiness is contrasted with the way they used to live. That holiness is contrasted with those who are around them. There's a difference that being in Christ brings. But it's still a choice daily that we embrace or not. So Paul gives four actions that believers in Christ can take to reflect and be in his light. They can live as children of God. They can find out what is pleasing to the Lord. They can refuse to take part in the darkness and they can expose what is hidden. So number one, we reflect God's light when we live as children of God. In verse eight, Paul says something kind of shocking that might make some of us uncomfortable. He says, we are the light. He says, once you were darkness, but now you are the light. Now, for those of us who hint, who reject any philosophy that says that we are divine in and of ourselves, this is a strange saying. But in the Greek, a better rendering is, now you are light in the Lord. It doesn't take the Lord out of the equation. But it does have a connotation that in our former lives, we didn't just live in darkness, that we were part of the darkness in motive and in action. As Christians, we don't simply live in the light. We participate in the full array of what that means. Christ is the light of the world. Believing in him, trusting in him, walking with him means that we are part of that light in heart and behavior. The word that comes to mind here for me is transparency. When we live as children of the light, there's an openness to who we are. We're like plants that open and blossom in the sun, flowering best under God's very being. Paul talks about the fruit of the light. He says the fruit is goodness and righteousness and truth. So I think it's advantageous for us to think about our lives. Where do we see goodness and righteousness and truth? Where is there evidence of God's light in us? Have you heard of flashlight fish? They're ocean-dwelling animals that use their own bioluminescent light, mostly using symbiotic bacteria. How cool is God, right? So they have these light organs underneath their eyes that can be turned off and on, which blink like a flashlight. And once you see them with other fish, they're totally unforgettable. An interesting fact about them is that in certain places in the world, fishermen will sometimes follow schools of these guys to help them navigate through narrow reef passages at night. You guys, we're like flashlight fish, right? We have a light that's been given to us by our creator that we can turn off and on to help us find our way. It's in his light. It's a concerted effort of what he has given us. And we utilize his goodness and his truth that stands out in contrast to the darkness. Paul says everything that becomes visible is light. 
When we stay open to God living in transparency, we find our way. And then sometimes we help others find theirs too. Number two, we reflect God's light when we find out what is pleasing to the Lord. This is actively seeking what God desires. I think that the word here, discernment, is a good word. This is more than what would Jesus do. There's an Old Testament feel here. To find out what is pleasing to the Lord means to put something to the test, to examine it thoughtfully. What is his will? In the Old Testament, people were required to bring a sacrifice to Yahweh and lay it on the altar for the forgiveness of their sins so that the fragrance and the act of the offering would be pleasing to him. That's not something that he still desires of us, but he does want our heart to be fully his. Living in his light means being in sync with what he wants. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time thinking about what I like in my life. Thinking about all of the different choices that I have every day. There's a lot of focus on us and our pleasure and satisfying our appetites. In America, we have so many creature comforts. It's become part of who we are instead of remembering and being thankful for what God has given us. We also spend way too much time worrying about what other people think. Well, are they going to like that if I do that? Are they going to be mad at me if I'm late? Like, you know, we spend so much time worrying about what other people think. It's not healthy. How often do we stop and truly consider, what does God want from me in this situation every day? One thing is obvious. God wants us to live in the light, away from the darkness. In verse 2, Paul encourages the church to live in love. Because Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He was the sacrifice. He is the offering. When we align ourselves and our choices with him, it's because of our covenant relationship with him. We've accepted his forgiveness for our sin. Our slate is wiped clean. So we agree his life is better than ours. His love is more compelling than whatever it is that we might choose here. So what does God want? I think for us to believe that his love is more precious to us than anything else that this world can give us. This is a deep and lifelong process where we are changed and refined, where we learn to trust and what that means. So let us find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Number three, we reflect God's light by not taking part in the darkness. Earlier in the chapter, Paul mentions three sins that he wants the church to avoid. Sexual immorality, greed, and coarse language. Now, this is not, of course, a full list of sins. But it's interesting that these are the ones that Paul accentuates. Because they were then, and they are now, places where humanity truly struggles. With regard to immorality, we are a people who are obsessed with sex. And we are loath to have any restrictions placed on how our sexuality is expressed sometimes. With regard to greed, we are a people who spent countless years thinking we don't have enough. That we need to get more or better or different instead of being content with what the Lord has given us. 
With regard to speech, we are a people who use strong language to convey our feelings. But this can lead to great inappropriateness and words that do not honor anyone, much less the Lord. Paul says, don't take any part in unfruitful works of darkness. Don't go where there is no life. Have boundaries in your life and places where sin wants to come in and sin abounds. All of us are tempted in different ways. What tempts me may not tempt you. But at the root of all temptation is pride and what we want and how we don't want to have any restrictions. We chafe against anyone who tells us what we can and cannot do. And the past darkness sometimes has a way of trying to pull us back. And those around us can convince us that there's nothing wrong with the dark. And we are enticed by sin. And so the Lord says, have a boundary. Have a boundary with those things that cause you to leave my light. Don't stay in the darkness. Paul is exhorting the church that life in Christ is very different than life apart from him. Lastly, we reflect God's light when we expose the darkness. Paul here says it's not enough to just abstain from sin. We also have to confront the darkness. What is not from God when we see it? Not everything is light. Not everything is good. As Christians, we know this, but sometimes we have a difficult time being honest about it in our everyday life. We know those in darkness don't want to hear it because of conviction, but also because sometimes the church has done a bad job. Sometimes the church hasn't brought mercy, but condemnation and judgment and hate. So they don't want to hear it. Paul is saying we can influence those around us in our social spheres. And that happens both with actions and with words. It takes wisdom to know how to confront the darkness. And we can't be afraid. God has won the battle and goes before us in all things. There's a cosmic fight for people's souls. We read the life of Jesus. We know that's true. We have to recognize the seriousness of the situation. Refusing to take part in sin speaks volumes to those around us. The light shines more than we think. But there are times also that we have to speak. That we have to say, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's okay. I think God has better for you. There are times we have to say, sin is sin. It's a separation from God that brings destruction. Just as we trust the Lord to be with us personally, to speak to us where we are, we also trust him to show us where to shine his light in the darkness that is around us. Light is so helpful, isn't it? Just the other day I was washing something and I couldn't find a stain. I knew it was there, but I had to hold it up to the light. There was something else that was broken and I had to hold it up to the sunlight so I could see where the problem was and where the hole was. Light enables us to see things we cannot see on our own. We need God for clarity 
God's truth shows us what is broken and disgraceful in our world and in our lives. And there is a sad lacking of shame. People can look straight at sin, straight at darkness and say, there is nothing wrong with that. To even think that God would bless us, bless that. So we have to stay in his light in order to know what truth is. We are all afraid of exposure. We learn early to avoid punishment when wrongdoing is uncovered for people knowing what's happening in the darkness of our lives. For those hiding in sin like all of us have done and all of us will do again, we have to understand how the Lord reveals his light and then brings mercy. God's light brings mercy in a way that offers closeness to him and freedom. When a Christian lives openly in the light because we've been offered repentance, may we also find courage to help others find light. In this part of Ephesians, there are contrasts everywhere. Paul talks about the former life and the life that they are in now. He talks about darkness and light. He talks about things that are hidden and visible. He talks about being asleep and awake. He talks about being dead and risen. But really, there are two choices here. Will we live in Christ or will we live for something else? Verse 14 reminds us that one that we must live as people who are not asleep, but people who are risen and alive. When that is true, then Christ, our Savior, will shine on us. Paul is reinforcing what he has just said using this early hymn or baptismal creed. Light isn't just a symbol. It's not just a useful metaphor. Christ is the light. Physical light is necessary for physical life. Spiritual light is necessary for spiritual life. We have to wake up to who the Lord is and what darkness is around us. We must not sleep when people say that the darkness doesn't matter. That the darkness won't hurt anyone. We have to stay attuned to God's light and welcome him, even as it reveals our own sin. While we may seem the same as everyone else on the outside, in reality, we are different. Lent is an important season to reflect on how it is that we're going to live out this life that God has given. Jesus considered the darkness so oppressive, so leading to death, that he came to take it on with his own body. So if he died for us, what is our response? How shall we live? Paul urges us to live as children of light. Let us pray.